Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, June 11th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well. They're staying safe and they're healthy uh, as we continue to, to battle the coronavirus pandemic. Coming up on today's podcast is an interview I recorded earlier today with the head women's basketball coach at Gettysburg College, uh, Nate Davis. Uh, But before we get to that, I wanted to, uh, again, praise all the protesters and demonstrators as Louisville has passed a law banning the no-knock warrant that was also uh, called the Breonna Taylor Bill as she was murdered by police officers who were executing one of these no-knock warrants, stormed her apartment, and shot and killed her. That type of warrant is now illegal in Louisville, and it really should be all around the country. And it shows that these protests are working. Keep making your voice heard that Black Lives Matter, and keep demanding the change that you want to see in your communities in your cities, in your states, and in the whole country because it is working and we just need to keep that going and keep demanding that change. And when the time comes in November to vote, to keep getting the people in office that uh, will follow the uh, will of uh, the people and, and, and what we want to, to happen. So coming up, Uh, on Recommendation Corner, I have two things this week, one serious and one not as serious. So the guys at Crooked Media, so for those who don't know, Crooked Media is a company uh, that does a bunch of podcasts, uh, political podcasts, uh, founded by three former Obama staffers, John Favreau, John Lovett, and Tommy Vitor. And now they have a bunch of other great people working with them, and they are uh, running something this, this summer and this fall called Vote Save America that they haven't adopt a state program. So there's going to be a whole bunch of battleground states this fall. This group is trying to uh, get people to organize and volunteer and try to get out the vote in these really important uh, states for the upcoming election. So you can go on to Vote Save America's website. You could adopt a state. You could choose either like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, states that are truly seen as up for grabs uh, this fall. You could sign up and learn how to volunteer and just how to how to help get the vote out uh, this fall, which is all really, really uh, important stuff. So I've been doing that. I've been doing that with my mom, uh, doing the training sessions, and we're getting ready to uh, uh, help out with getting the vote out uh, this summer and this fall. And then the other recommendation I have is... Uh, obviously with a lot going on just this whole spring with the pandemic and obviously with the last few weeks, uh, kind of at the end of the day that the news can be uh, upsetting and just uh, a lot to deal with. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, one thing I like doing is before I was recommending Parks and Recreation, I recommend uh, Modern Family. It's on syndication. It's on a whole bunch of uh, channels, TBS, uh, Channel 9, Pix11, all that good stuff. So highly recommend checking that out. It's a great way just to laugh. Uh, the early seasons are better than the later seasons, but uh, it's a good way just to laugh and uh, kind of wind down from what could be a very stressful day. So uh, I'm going to hit the music, and when we come back is my interview recorded earlier today with the head women's basketball coach at Gettysburg College, Nate Davis. Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the head women's basketball coach at Gettysburg College, Nate Davis. He was a collegiate football player at Mansfield University and continued on at his alma mater after graduation as an assistant coach. He joined the staff at the University of South Carolina Aiken as an assistant men's basketball coach in the summer of 2005. After five years in South Carolina, Coach Davis was named the head women's basketball coach at Eastern University. In his five years at the helm, he helped lead Eastern to a 79-52 and record, was named the Freedom Conference Coach of the Year twice in 2012 and 2015, and was named Eastern's Athletic Director in 2013 and led the program to the best season in school history in 2014-2015 as they won a record 22 games in the program's first trip to the NCAA tournament. 
After that season, Coach Davis was named the head women's basketball coach at Gettysburg College, and in his five years leading the Bullets, he has led Gettysburg to a 109-29 record, including three consecutive trips to the NCAA tournament. Aside from his coaching duties uh, of basketball, Coach Davis is also the head men's coach, head men's golf coach at Gettysburg, and served in the U.S. Marine Corps before enrolling in college. I'm thrilled he's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks a lot, and um, looking forward to having a great discussion with you, and appreciate you uh, being interested in hearing what I have to talk about, I guess. For sure. So, so Coach, let, let's go back to the uh, beginning here. Kind of tell us where you grew up and kind of how you just got involved with the game of basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in rural, small-town Pennsylvania, north-central PA, um, town called Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And as I said, really small town. So if you were a, if you were a good athlete, then your expectation was that you played every sport. And so, um, so I had a group of friends that were all pretty good athletes, and we <clears throat> went around and played every sport. We'd, we'd start in the fall with football and then go to the winter and basketball. And, and up, up north, at northern Pennsylvania at that time, uh, we didn't have high school baseball, believe it or not. We actually okay. had uh, we our high school baseball was American Legion, which was played more towards the summer. Gotcha. And so, even though, but it was our high school sport. So, uh, I actually lettered in four sports because I did track and field. Okay. Um, and so, so yeah, so I I just did that all year round, um, going from sport to sport with the same group of guys, and um, and so uh, basketball was just a, you know something I kind of picked up late to be honest with you because I. Starting up in North Central PA, I actually started in second grade. I think I, I wrestled, um, so I wrestled okay. from second second to eighth grade, and um, and uh, so uh, when but eighth grade, I kind of had to make a choice whether to play basketball or wrestle, and and uh, I like to eat too much, so <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up playing basketball. Uh, plus, all my buddies played basketball too right. at that time. So um, so yeah, so it was um, so honestly, sports and athletics has been a huge part of my life, and. And, um, um, yeah, so I really enjoyed basketball was something that just was one of the four sports that I really played with a group of guys and, um, you know, played summer league together, all those kind of things. Um, so it's just, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great experience for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as basketball is concerned, I actually, when I graduated high school, um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't do a great job in high school academically. I wasn't that focused on academics. I was probably more focused on athletics. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, so I ended up going to a junior college. Um, I don't know if you knew this, it wasn't really in my bio, but I went to a junior college, <clears throat> Corning community college and played basketball, uh, one year, um, and realized that I wasn't ready, uh, and during spring break, I realized I wasn't ready for school and, uh, you know, college and paying for school myself and, and all those things. I realized that I might be wasting my time right. if I wasn't serious about my academics. And so your spring break of, of that first year in college actually enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of the transition of, of where I went, um, and how I ended up in the Marine Corps. So from my understanding coach, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but service time in the Marine Corps generally ranges from about four to, to, to six years. So how did your, when, when your service time ended and, and you were leaving the Marine Corps, you end up going to Mansfield University and playing football. Kind of how did that work transitioning back into college and, and also just like coming back and playing a collegiate sport? <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect to, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't expect to play a collegiate sport, say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Mansfield is, university is close to the town I grew up in. So for me, coming out of the Marine Corps was pretty much kind of coming home. Um, I'd been away for four years and um, um, I knew – I wanted to probably go to Mansfield again, the university that was closest to my house and, um, wasn't, wasn't planning on, uh, actually playing any sport in college or anything like that. <clears throat> but before I went in the Marine Corps, I was coaching, I was actually a high school football coach okay. uh, for my, for my high school, um, kind of on the side as a part-time job, you know? And so when I got out of the Marine Corps and I started at Mansfield university in the fall, um, I jumped right back in as being a high school football coach gotcha. again. And um, one of the guys that I was coaching with had just graduated from Mansfield University and actually played football with me in high school. He was one year older than me. And he, while I was going to Mansfield in the fall, we were coaching high school football. Um, he, he convinced me to walk on to the football team in the spring. Gotcha. And Because uh, he had just got done playing. And he convinced me. He said, hey, I'll introduce you to coach. Come on, you can do this. 
I was like, yeah, whatever, I guess. And so that's that winter I I introduced myself to the coach and, and he said, Hey, you walk out in the spring and see what we see, see we can see what happens, I guess. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of my, uh, my route to college football was not, um, wasn't recruited. It was a straight walk on type situation. And, um, basically through a friendship. Gotcha. So Wesleyan, uh, university where where I went to college has, they work with the posse scholarship, which, uh, helps give scholarships to veterans who are transitioning out of the service into the going back to college. And it was a great experience, you know, having that, that type of perspective in the classroom. But a lot of times those students would, uh, when, when asked, you know, about it, they're just a lot, usually a lot older and just a lot more mature than some of their undergraduate classmates. And for those who play a sport teammates, what was yeah. it like, you know, uh, being on the football team and just being a student, uh, again, given your previous military uh, background and experience and just, you know, interacting with 18 to 22 year old college students. Yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, definitely. Uh, I was definitely more mature than I was the first time I went to college. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my life experiences had changed a lot. My perspective had changed a lot. Um, I was familiar with dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. Cause even in the Marine Corps, as I, as I got older in the Marine Corps, I was, you know, overseeing and, and in charge of younger Marines that maybe were in that age group. So it wasn't like it was a shock to my system gotcha. being back with that age group again, but it was definitely different. Um, you know, I'm proud. I was probably still pretty immature. Um, even though I was a couple of years older than a lot of the guys that I played with. Um, so I, I, I fit in pretty well other than, and honestly, I was just thankful to be playing. Um, you know, Minnesota University at that time was Division Two, and it's part of the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference, and and uh, which is a really good Division Two conference in the nation. And uh, I sent several players to the NFL and things like wow. that. Um, and so I was just happy to be playing. To be honest with you, uh, my perspective on athletics at that time was I wasn't concerned about scholarship or anything like that. I mean, there were guys that. You know, I played with that. You know, got significant scholarship. I didn't. I my first year, I didn't have anything, and mm-hmm. um, and I didn't care because um, you know, again, like you said, there are some benefits of you know, I had invested in the GI Bill when I was in the Marine Corps, so um, that paid for my rent and my apartment that I had. And um, you know, Pennsylvania pays eighty percent of tuition at state schools for, gotcha. for for veterans, and so I, I technically didn't really pay anything to go to school, which was really nice. Um, so I didn't have much to worry about when it comes to that. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. I mean, the guys accepted me. Um, I still have some great friends to this day that were my teammates at the time. And, um, yeah, it ended up having personally better, um, better, uh, time than I thought I would, meaning I, I was more successful than right. I thought I would be from a personal standpoint. Um, so that made it fun. Uh, cause I started pretty much, even though I walked out in the spring that fall, I started, um, it started all three years that I played, um, and was all conference my last two years. Oh, and, nice. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Cause it was also, uh, again, I went to a small school. So, mm-hmm. uh, in the small school that I played football in, I played offensive guard and defensive end. Um, but obviously I'm not that big a guy. <laughs> um, so when I, when I went to college, I ended up playing running back and, oh, nice. and, uh, and led the team receiving all three years that I played. And so it was, it was interesting. It was just a different experience than, you know, probably anything I would have thought I would have experienced uh, while I was in school. So, so, um, so yeah. So, as you were approaching graduation from Mansfield, I know from my own personal experience in college that there's that there can be a lot of peer pressure to kind of figure out what you're going to do next because it seemed like it's a, yeah. at the forefront of everyone's mind. When whenever you go home, it's the first thing anyone ever asks you. So, how did you approach? Uh, just your initial job search after college, and and as you mentioned, you had a back you 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 had coached the high school football team. Did, was was coaching ever on your mind? Coaching has always been on my mind. I, I love coaching. I you know I can even think when I was in high school, you know, if there when they were younger, you know, little kids basketball, I was coaching those teams. Uh, it's something I've always really enjoyed. Um, but uh, you know, I have a very twisted tale. Uh, to be honest with you, David, of how I ended up in coaching and coaching college basketball for that matter, right? I mean, I'm a, mm. I'm a college football player, um, former Marine who's now coaching basketball. But um, but so my last year and a half in college, I was married. Okay. okay. Another 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 story. Um, but I was married and 
Um, the assistant men's basketball coach was a fairly young guy and, and he was married. And so myself, and we became good friends. Okay. And when I graduated college, I got recruited by a bank um, and I actually worked in banking for about a year and a half. Okay. Uh, during that, during that time, um, my good friend who was the assistant men's basketball coach um, became the head men's basketball coach there at Mansfield University. And when he became the head men's basketball coach at Mansfield University, uh, we were still friends. Uh, we had been friends of this whole time while I was working at the bank. I was back coaching high school football and working at the bank. Uh, but through our relationship, he said, hey, you know, why don't you come back and get your master's degree at Mansfield University mm-hmm. in education and start coaching with me, coaching basketball. And so that's basically kind of how I left. I, I quit my job at the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife and I had just had my son and our son and, and uh, we just bought a house. And so it was a little bit scary times. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we, I quit my job at the bank. My wife was working, but um, I was now going to be a grad student. Uh, making, I was a GA, so it wasn't through basketball. It was actually through new student financial planning. Um, but I was a GA, so my grad school was paid for me, and I got a little stipend. But it was definitely a big, significant financial uh, risk, sure. let me say it that way. And so I went back and got my master's degree in education uh, the first two years that I played, that I coached at Mansfield. So, um, so yeah. what was that transition like? As obviously, <laughs> banking is very different than than coaching. What was that transition like from banking back to being a assistant basketball coach? Well, I told you that I was that I was coaching high school football even while I was working at the bank, mm-hmm. um, and so I was I was running out of the bank on a daily basis in the fall, <laughs> sprint, sprinting to practice. Like I was changing in the car, I couldn't wait to get there, and that was part of it for me. Like like I I was good at banking. I loved what I was doing. I I, I managed a credit card division at the bank, so I had a staff of nine people that worked for me and everything at this point. Um, so and I was good at it. I was good at my job, but. It just wasn't my passion. Gotcha. And and uh, so I think that's what happened was I just determined that, you know, what was I excited about every day? And that was getting out there and working with student athletes. And and it wasn't my job necessarily. We make a big multi-million dollar deal. And I was part of the presentation. Afterwards, everybody's all excited. I'm like, yeah, hope it helps them. You know, no big deal. To me. <laughs> like it, just, it just did not, it just didn't excite me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was the the kind of a transitional point for me is I realized where my passion truly lied. And if I could have an opportunity to do that, then I would. And, um, I didn't necessarily know I was going to be in college coaching at that point, even though I was doing college coaching, my thought was maybe if I get my master's degree in education, um, I could become a teacher and maybe have that. If college coaching didn't work out, I could be a teacher and coach. Uh, because the last three years I coached at Mansfield, I actually taught high school. Um, so I left my job at the bank, got my master's degree in education, started teaching at local high schools, mm-hmm. um, for three years. Um, and, but still coaching college basketball. Gotcha. So, so, yeah. So, yeah. so as you transitioned from Mansfield, you had an opportunity to go down to South Carolina, uh, Aiken. And for any listeners yes. who don't know, that's a division two school, uh, and, and they play division two basketball. Every just just like any other job, when you're on a uh, coaching staff, each person on the staff kind of has different responsibilities. So, just what yeah. were some of your responsibilities uh, on the South Carolina Aiken staff, given that you are now not, uh, given that you are now you know still at the the D two level, but at a different school? Yeah, um, you know, I was with the same coach, mm-hmm. um, so we I went there with the head coach that I worked for at Mansfield. So it was, it was with my still with a really good friend of mine, but yeah, I mean, my position changed obviously as a part-time assistant, um, who was the second assistant at Mansfield basically, um, which was D2 as well. Yeah. But, um, but when I, when I went to USC Aiken with Vince Alexander, who was my head coach at the time, um, he, I became the first assistant. And so I, obviously I was in charge of recruiting. Um, you know, Vince was, Vince was is one of my you know mentors to this day and, and still great friends to this day. And uh, the thing I loved about Vince was he threw me right in the fire as far as even I handled substitutions from day one. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, obviously he could override me mm-hmm. uh, at any moment and throw, put somebody else in there. But, um, but yeah, he gave me responsibility from day one and, um, you know, expected me to coach and it gave me a lot of uh, opportunity to voice my opinions and to be part of, you know, actively 
coaching in practice. Um, you know, I handled the guards for a couple years, then I handled the forwards for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was really, uh, Vince really cared about my development as a coach, which I, I really appreciate that. And, sure. and that's uh, now as a head coach, that's something I really work hard to make sure that my assistants feel like they're growing every year. But, um, but yeah, no, that, that was, that was huge for me, um, at USC Aiken. And we were able to build a program there that, yeah. that was, uh, obviously really successful. So it was fun to be part of that. Yeah, one thing, Coach, I think kind of gets overshadowed and just, you know, isn't really talked about enough or explained well is it's just the entire recruiting process for D2 and just how good the players are there. As I, as, as I think a lot of times people just think, oh, D2 is just, you know, guys who aren't good enough for D1. But as we saw this past season, Mary Mack College in their first year playing D1 hoops coming from the D2 level, they won their yeah. their regular season conference outright. And with, yeah. with, with practically the, the same roster of, of guys they had the previous year when they were at, at D2. Can you kind of talk about what the recruiting process is like at, at a D2 school and just how good you have to be to play Division II basketball? Yeah. Well, like every level, there's, there's you know, just to say D2, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean the same in every situation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's some D2 schools that aren't very good and, and there's some D2 schools that are really, really good. And it just depends on the talent level you have. But, um, you know, um, yeah, so at, at USC Aiken, when we got there, uh, the league, the Peach Belt Conference, which is a really good conference of Division Two, and it sent many teams to the national, national tournament and stuff, um, they were big in junior college transfers. Gotcha. It, it was just, it was, it was, there was high school kids, but it was really big. You infuse your talent with, uh, the funny thing about D2 is, it ends up being guys that at the time it ended up being guys that were um, not not weren't able to graduate from junior college, but were Division One talent, mm-hmm. but couldn't grad didn't graduate. And so if they don't, you have to graduate to be able to go to Division One yeah. from 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 junior college. And so if you didn't graduate, your only option was D two um, or obviously D three too. But most most people were looking for some scholarship level um, at that point. Um, so yeah, we had some incredibly talented guys at, at USC Aiken. The other thing that we did um, at USC Aiken is we, we hit, got a lot of division one transfers. Gotcha. So we were loaded with division one transfers. <laughs> uh, I'm just being honest with you. I mean, yeah. we were loaded and, and, you know, when you talk about that level, um, you know, when, when I was at USC Aiken, the last couple of years, especially when we got really good, uh, we, had, we were playing Furman, which is division one. Um, and it was early in the season, um, maybe, maybe the first game of the year and we beat them by 20 at their place and oh, it was wow. never close. It was never close. We were so good. Yeah. But, but again, we had, we had so many good, we had a division one roster basically, mm-hmm. right, you know, for sure. um, and we exhibition Clemson that year as well. And Clemson was really good. And, uh, we were, you know, pretty much tied at halftime. The big difference there was they just had so much depth inside and that's probably yeah. the difference. Guard play, guard play honestly is very similar. Yeah. Um, we went into double overtime with college of Charleston that year. Uh, also in an exhibition game and they went to the NC tournament that year mm-hmm. from college of Charleston. So, so yeah, there was, we definitely had some really talented guys, uh, eight, eight pros in, in the five years that I was wow. there at USC. Not necessarily the NBA. We, mm-hmm. we had guys that had NBA tryouts, but um, but we have guys that that are still playing professionally to this day. Wow! Um, that uh, that were playing for us then. So yeah, it was it was pretty exciting. Uh, some of the talent we had was was very scary. So um, so after scary. so after you have this long extended run uh, with Division two basketball on on the men's <laughs> side, you, you get this opportunity to be the head women's basketball coach at Eastern University, which is another Division three <laughs> school in Pennsylvania. So kind of yeah. what went into the decision not only to, to come down to the Division three level to coach, but also switch from the men's to the women's game? Yeah, another sordid tale. Uh, <laughs> a, a jer- another sordid journey of mine. Um, honestly, I thought it was going to be a Division two head men's coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were a top five, top ten program every year. Um, we were... Um, you know, we were, we were preseason ranked number one my second to last year at USC in, in Division two. So we were... You know, we had built a program that was six and twenty-two the year before we got there, to where we were. We were at twenty-six and three. You know, we had we had really built up a great program. Uh, so, my honestly, I, I thought my direction was going to be Division Two head coach, men's coach. 
Um, I was a finalist for seven jobs around the country. Um, but I got a call, um, honestly, from a newly hired athletic director at Eastern. And uh, he knew me because he was an assistant AD at USC Aiken when we got there with the men's program. So, okay. um, so he knew me, knew I was from Pennsylvania. He needed to hire a women's basketball coach. And he said, hey, you want to coach Division Three women's basketball at Eastern University? And um, to be honest with you, it, I probably didn't think it was the right fit uh, uh-huh. initially at all. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, it was one of those things that I knew him and um, – I just, uh, it's something felt right to me. Um, you know, full disclosure, David, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so my faith is really important to me. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so sometimes I do things where I feel like I'm being led to do. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a big part of that decision for me. And, um, and, uh, so it was, it was a huge risk as well as I was going from, you know, full-time athletic, full-time in athletics as a division two assistant and a top five, top 10 program. I didn't yeah. have to leave my job. I'm still great friends too with my boss at that time to this day. So I didn't have to leave my job. I love the way I was doing. Um, but uh, here I am. I, I leave that job. I take a little bit of a pay cut, believe it or not. And um, I now I am the visit coordinator in admissions for Eastern University, okay. as well as the head, head women's basketball coach. Um, trust me, there was a good two to three week period where I was thinking, what did I just do? Uh, you know, um, yeah. and it was definitely, it was definitely, it, you know, Eastern women's basketball had never been very good ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, a lot of that might scare a lot of people away, but it was something that interests me. And, um, I, I guess I like a challenge too. So, right. um, so yeah, so I guess there's nowhere to go, but up, um, it was definitely quite an experience at first year for and, sure. And transitioning. And you guys, as you mentioned, you know, you inherited not a very successful program at the time, but you guys kept improving and improving on the basketball side of things when you got presented a pretty cool opportunity when in, in 2011, you were named the head women's golf coach at Eastern. <laughs> kind of what drew you to the golf program? And, you know, ju- just as someone speaking, I grew up in New York City. I still live in New York City. I've played very little golf in my life. Just what are some responsibilities that, that a golf coach has? You know, um, the, again, another sordid tale of mine, but, uh, the, the AD that hired me, um, was trying to, you know, you know, a small division three athletics. Sometimes we all have secondary duties and, yep. um, part of what he wanted to do was getting, getting me full time in athletics. Um, and he also felt like it was starting a women's golf program was something that, um, you know, he wanted to do as well. So he, he felt like it would be a good fit. Um, I'm not classically trained as a golfer by any means (laughs) i I love the game of golf i play it um as much as i can i'm self-taught um but uh so yeah he just asked me to start the women's golf program from scratch and um we didn't you didn't have you know time to recruit or anything like that i basically recruited on campus i had one golfer who i recruited for basketball that had played high school golf and i told her that she was going to basically golf out too. Uh, <laughs> I, I needed to have a golfer. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, pretty crazy. We, as I said, I, I feel really fortunate because we were able to somehow put a team together yeah. and, um, and actually do pretty well. We finished second in the conference that first year, Wow, um, which is pretty crazy. And then the next year we won the conference and uh, <laughs> I got coach of the year for golf. So, <laughs> So, and, and what may be even rarer than someone coaching two varsity collegiate programs, you were named the athletic director at Eastern at at Eastern in 2013. So, not only were you coaching these two varsity programs, but you're also in charge of the entire athletics department, the fundraising for sports, and just everything else that goes on behind the scenes that comes with it. Just what was it like to be the athletic director, and just kind of how did you manage uh, basically three full time jobs at the same time? Well, I, I actually, so when I took the job as director of athletics, I actually took down from women's golf. So okay. I did, I did step away. So I wasn't doing three. Okay. Uh, that would have been impossible. <laughs> um, absolutely impossible. Uh, just from time standpoint alone. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, my, my boss that hired me at Eastern, um, left and took the athletic director job at center college down in Kentucky and which was his alma mater. 
And um, so um, when he left, um, the opportunity came and, um, you know, when I got the opportunity to be the athletic director, it made sense for me to, to do that. So um, it was definitely a challenge. Even coaching basketball and being an athletic director was a real challenge. And um, it, it really made it hard to, you know, be a great coach and give the players the focus they, they deserve and they need, but also be a great director of athletics. And, you know, you're right, the fundraising aspect of it, meeting with alumni, meeting with, um, but then managing coaches. And yeah. um, it was it was definitely a lot. There's no doubt about it. And I think it wore on me a little bit, to be honest with you, um, which is probably why it led me a little bit to come to Gettysburg. Um, it wasn't obviously the only reason, but uh, the the thought of just coaching basketball again was was something that was pretty exciting. For sure. Um, as an opportunity. So the 2014-2015 season was one to remember for Eastern as you guys went 22-6. and six. And one of those wins was over the previously undefeated and number one ranked FDU Florham team. Can you ta- yes. can you kind of talk about just that week of prep, getting ready to face the number one team in the country, and just what that victory meant for uh, the program as a whole? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it was a uh, it was a great week, and and one that uh, honestly any of us who are there will never forget. And, and it, not because we weren't good enough to beat them. To be honest with you, I think we all felt like we were, but. Um, but the year, the, the, we actually played them earlier in the year because they're in our conference. So we mm-hmm. played them twice, and we went to their place earlier. You know, maybe about three weeks prior to that. And um, you know, the thing about FDU Florham that year was they were so athletic. They were just they were different than any other team you were going to face. Um, right. And so I even tried to bring in men's you know practice players to try <laughs> to simulate. You know, the first time we played them, we just. You know, we watched film and we were all worried about their press and all these things. And and um, we went up there and just played on our heels the whole time. Yeah. You know, we were we were scared. We didn't attack the press. We even we broke it. We you know we wouldn't attack it. And and it was it just wasn't us. We ended up getting beat pretty bad, probably like twenty or thirty. I don't even know what the score was, but it was it was never close. It's never really a game, and we just didn't play with confidence. Like I felt like we should have. And and so coming into the second time we played them, um, you know, actually, the funny thing is, uh, so I did bring in his practice players. I didn't even mm-hmm. do that. I was like, you know what? We're good enough. We don't need that. Um, and the other thing was we, um, we, uh, I didn't even do scout. We okay. didn't even do scout. Um, I actually showed them the night before I, I clipped. Um, we went on the internet to YouTube or something, and I showed them. 1990 um, NCAA championship when UNLV blew out Duke. Yeah, I don't know if you know, know what I'm talking about. But oh, for sure. They blew out. They blew out Duke, and it was never a game. They blew them out, right? Yeah. Um, but then the next year in the semifinals, um, you know, Duke met UNLV, basically the same teams. Yep. And Duke and Duke upset them in a sense in the semifinals and ended up winning the national championship that year. Um, so I showed them the clip of UNLV just destroying duke um and then i showed them the clip of duke beating unlv the next year and uh that was all i showed them and i just said hey we just need to play with confidence and attack them and we're going to attack them you know i think we're a deeper team i think we're you know we can run with them and that's what we did so instead of instead of playing passive we we ran at them we attacked them and we played aggressive and you know made enough plays down the stretch to to uh to come away i mean honestly i think that there have been two more seconds on the clock. I don't know if we win, but, <laughs> you know, if there's 10 more seconds, maybe we do win. It was just yeah. like one of those games back and forth, back and forth. Um, and we ended up just uh, making a play in the last 10 seconds and they couldn't respond. And, yeah. and we, we, we ended up with the win. So it was really exciting to be part of that. That's awesome. So after that spectacular season coach, <laughs> you had the opportunity to leave Eastern as you were named the head women's basketball coach at Gettysburg college, taking over for longtime coach, Mike Kirkpatrick. And just for the listeners who don't know, in Division Three, coaches are not allowed to hold practices or official team workouts in the offseason. So how did you yeah. go about establishing relationships with the women uh, in your program now at Gettysburg without having those uh, on-court workouts uh, to, to get to know them? It's hard. I mean, it really is, right? I mean, you know, the thing about coaching, and especially in college, is you know when you get to go through the recruiting process with somebody and um, – you know, you get to know them. They get to earn. You get to earn their trust through the recruiting process because 
you know, they select you and you select them. But here yeah. I am in her, in, inheriting a team that I didn't select them and they didn't select me really. Right. And, um, and so it, it definitely, it definitely is a challenge, you know, uh, that first, that first year, especially. Um, and like you said, um, you know, we don't have preseason workouts and things like that that we can use to, to really familiarize ourselves with people and, and then to get to used to me. And so, and actually at the time, in the Centennial Conference, we started a week after everybody else in the NCAA too. Yeah. So that year, um, that we now it's subsequently been changed. We actually start with everybody else now, but that first year we didn't. And so here I am coming in thinking, man, I gotta, you know, I'm a different coach. It's not like I run the same things that Coach Kirkpatrick ran and mm-hmm. um, different defensive philosophies and all those things. And so, yeah, there's a lot of stress and thinking, how am I going to get all this stuff in? How are we going to teach what we do and, and who we are as a program uh, in the short time that we got? Uh, not, not knowing, you know, what our opponents are going to have the first game and all those things too. So yeah. it was definitely, definitely pretty stressful. I'm thankful to the players that were here at Gettysburg College when I got here. They really accepted me. Um, they were, they were, you know, excited to have me as their coach. And um, so, I, honestly, it couldn't, it couldn't have happened if they didn't welcome me. Right. Um, it couldn't have happened if they didn't accept some of the things that I was asking them to do. Um, and because again. I'm a different coach. You know, Coach Kirkpatrick was a successful coach, too. It wasn't like they were awful. Uh, they were a good program the year before, I, you know, I got there. They were won 16 games. So it wasn't like we were starting from scratch. So I'm actually really thankful for the players that inherited me and I inherited. Um, so because uh, I think that if they if they didn't accept me, I don't mm-hmm. know if we would have had the success we had right away. For sure. So, Coach, culture is one of these really, really popular buzzwords right now around <laughs> sports and, and business. But culture is not, you know, a one word or one size fit all type thing. It it varies from team to team, company to company. When you talk about your team's culture, w- what are the things that you are trying to build and create? Yeah, you know, um, I think there's some principles that we really try to focus in on. Um, you know, you know that that accountability and that work ethic. Um, you know, again, big, 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 broad terms that are easy to say. Yeah. Um, but, but also, but are also principles that guide every decision you make. And I think that's the key is, is getting a group of people that are truly accountable to each other and, and share a same vision of what they want to accomplish as a team and are willing to maybe put down some of the, you know, personal goals, um, in light of the team goals. Obviously I want all our players to have personal goals too, mm-hmm. but never ones that, that hurt the team goals. Um, so you know, it cultures, everything, honestly, for us too. And again, that's such a easy buzzword. Like you said, it's, it's something that's thrown around a lot. Um, but I, the best thing I could say from a culture standpoint really is, is really what it means is unity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably, I think that's what culture is unity and working everybody on the same page working towards the same common goals, um, holding each other accountable and being willing to be held accountable by people too. Yeah. Um, and understanding that every decision you make uh, when you're part of a college athletic team, that every decision you make, whether on or off the court, impacts everybody else. And just understanding that you constantly are representing each other and being willing to want and, and wanting to be part of a family like that or a unit like that. Um, and so that's what we work hard at. Uh, I'll be honest with you, culture is, is, is something that I think should be focused on, but it's something that is so hard to get. Yeah. And even and, and just as hard to keep. Right. Um, it's it's amazing. You think as a coach, oh, we're right where we want to be. I, I love our team. This is great. And then all of a sudden, something happens. You know, you're like, what happened? Like, how did this happen? <laughs> so it's something that we like. We work really hard at, and um, and it's and can can be pretty elusive sometimes too. Yeah. Um, but it, it just takes a lot of communication, a lot of trust, and a lot of sacrifice as far as people making choices for the team and, and for be, for the common goals that you have together. I think that's the best way I can describe culture per se. Um, gotcha. It's just that, that unity that you feel um, uh-huh. that you're all working together. Toughness is another one of these buzzword, buzzword type phrases that are thrown around sports all the time. And, and I think that people yeah. s- sometimes talk a little bit too much about the importance of physical toughness and kind of, uh, 
undervalue or don't talk enough about the importance of mental toughness as we see with like the truly elite and the best athletes and the best teams they don't all they they have the physical toughness but they also have incredible mental toughness as well how do you help the young women in your program improve their mental toughness you know mental toughness in my opinion is is really unrelenting confidence i mean that's really what it is is Mm -hmm. is confidence based on the work you've put in you know i i say this analogy to my team all the time they probably laugh at me (laughs) Um, but i i say like if i'm standing outside you know your classroom and right in your finals are going on you know and and i'm standing outside your final and you're walking in there and you haven't studied at all and you know it you have not prepared and you're gonna just try to wing it and i and i say to you come on you can do it i know you can i believe in you Mm-hmm. You're going to look at me and say, you are crazy. <laughs> I did not prepare, you know? Um, and, and so on the flip side, obviously, if you've studied and you've spent the time, you've practiced and you've repped and you, you know, gone over questions in your mind and you've, you know, had somebody else quiz you and you know, basically what's going to be on the test and those kind of things. And I say, and you come walking into that same classroom and I say, you're not going to win today. You, you're not going to do very well. You're going to look at me like I'm crazy too. Yeah. It's, it's about preparation. It's about that personal confidence because you've prepared and you've put in the work. Um, there's nothing I can say to give people confidence. Really? There really isn't. I mean, I can encourage people and I, and I try to right? but what I try to encourage people is to put in the work, to put in the preparation so that they have that confidence that can't be taken that toughness that no matter what the situation is, they believe that they can get it done because they've put in the work, you know, there just isn't a substitute for that. Yeah. Like there just isn't. Um, because you know what, even if I can soup somebody up and get them excited and, and get them emotionally confident, the first time something goes wrong, they're done, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because they're like, Oh, I knew it. I knew I wasn't ready, you know, but if something goes wrong and you've prepared and you've worked hard, you're going to dig a little deeper and you say, no, no, I can do this. Yeah. No, no, I'm not, I'm not losing my confidence here because I know how much work I've put in. And so getting the players to one work hard, but then also to believe that their work should pay off, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so that's, that's to me, toughness um, is really a reflection of the work you've put in. And I think it even goes into physical too. Like if you know you've put in work and you feel like you deserve to win, you're going to do whatever it takes to win. Right. You're going to dive on the floor. You're going to do everything you can for your teammates because you feel like you've put in the work. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's where toughness comes from. I think toughness is a, you know, um, you know, again, I look back on my Marine Corps days. The reason why we were tough per se was because we were prepared and we trained, Yeah. you know? Um, and, and one, when, you know, things went down, our training kicked in. Right. You know, and it wasn't that we were tough, like we were going on autopilot, you know, yeah. we weren't even thinking about what we were doing. Like I can think of many times in my life in the Marine Corps where, you know, situations would arise and I'm, I'm running to the trouble and I'm like, Whoa, what am I doing here? But I <laughs> yeah. did it subconsciously. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I really thought about it and I didn't trust my training, then I probably would have been scared, but I wasn't because sure. I was trained. I was trained, Yeah, you know? And so I think that's the big thing uh, when you think about toughness is, it's really, again, a reflection of the of your of your training, mm-hmm. of the work you put in, uh, mental and physical training. Yeah. One one thing I've always wondered about, Coach, is you know at, at elite liberal arts schools like Gettysburg, and that I, I had this when I was at Wesleyan, which is that you yeah. have the season. So we start November first. You're going full steam ahead from when the season starts, and then finals hit, and kind of everything shuts down. Your 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 focus shifts as a student athlete to just exclusive, exclusively almost on finals and doing as well as you can. And then it yeah. goes right into winter break where a lot of times that can be one or two weeks before you're back on campus. So I know when my time at Wesleyan, it was basically always had a two or three week break kind of right in the heart of our season. How, <laughs> how do you approach that break kind of as a, as a coach where your players are primary focus is their final exams and then winter break. But I'm sure as a coach, you, you kind of just want to keep the season going, right? Keeping that positive momentum. Kind of just how do you approach that kind of like two to three week break before the season really uh, starts back up again? 
Yeah, I'll say this. I've learned to embrace the break a little bit more than I probably did early on in my career. Uh-huh. Um, because I, I, basketball season is long, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we all know it. I mean, it starts in October, and hopefully you're playing as late into March as you possibly can. But, um, you know, so I've learned to embrace the breaks a little bit on, on occasion. Obviously, as a coach, you know, maybe being semi-type A personality, right, you have you, you have control issues and you don't want to give that up. But, <laughs> um, but you know, again, I, I think – I've tried to learn to trust my culture on our team. I've tried mm-hmm. to learn to trust the individuals that, that I've given responsibility to, um, as a team. And, um, you know, so through finals, uh, we usually do break the team up, just trying to stay active physically. Cause yeah. I think, you know, I think even for, you know, on the academic side, even getting that hour workout, sweating, for sure. taking your mind off your studies for a second, is healthy. I think it helps yeah. our students perform better in the classroom than just grinding away at the library for 24 hours a day yeah. uh, where you can at least go again, break, get some sweat. There's probably some, some physical uh, science behind it too as well. 100%. But, uh, yeah. But you know, I think that's, so that's what we try to focus in on is just really keeping them active, but, but allowing them the flexibility to uh, prepare for their finals and things like that. And obviously being understanding that that's the most important thing uh, for them. Um, after finals, you know, again, depending upon our schedule, we usually try to give 10 to 10 to 11 days mm-hmm. off. Um, and, uh, we, we try to in, inform them and equip them so that when they go home, they're not out of season. Yeah. Um, and, uh, try to, you know, build up, you know, you know, maybe partners where they'll call each other and they'll challenge each other physically to make sure they're in shape and, um, you know, are doing things or putting up shots, certain shots, so many shots a day, depending upon availability and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so yeah, I mean, but every year it's a little bit different, right? You come back and some years I've come back and my team's in really great shape and I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And then other years I'm like, did you do anything for 12 days? <laughs> um, you know, so, but again, I, we have time to get back. So I don't yeah. stress about that. Like I really do. I think we have time to get back and, and get ready, especially for conference play, which is most of our focus is on conference play. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's such a huge part of our season. So that so in 2018, I'm I'm pretty sure you correct me if, if I got the year wrong, but you got the opportunity to coach golf again at Gettysburg, <laughs> coaching the men's team. And my own experience, I played multiple sports in high school. I played baseball and basketball, and just playing those two sports, you know, I I learned things from playing baseball that helped me in basketball. I learned things from basketball that helped me in baseball. Are there things about coaching golf that help you coach the women's basketball team, and kind of vice versa? Yeah, and they're different. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's funny, you know, it's funny. Well, one one funny part is my assistant coach, uh-huh. Coach Badecki, Coach Kaylee Badecki, she she actually played basketball for me at Eastern. Yeah. Okay. She was that golfer that I told you about that I recruited as a basketball player, but I told her she was going to golf too. Mm-hmm. Um, so she played golf for four years and basketball uh, with, with me at Eastern. Okay. Right? Uh, and she's my assistant now at Gettysburg College, so she is a collegiate golfer as well as a collegiate basketball player. So she is my assistant for both sports. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm thankful that I have her. But it's funny, I used to sit out. One of the things that I used to work with her, and the reason why I told her she needed to golf was because um, she would get too worked up on the basketball court and, and lose her focus and her composure sometimes. Yeah. And I told her when I would walk in the fairway with her golf wise, I would say, this is going to be really good for you. It's going to teach you to keep your composure because the more yeah. mad you get in golf, the worse you do. Exactly. And, uh, so it's, it's, it is funny because, um, I actually use golf for her to help teach her, you know, from a composure standpoint on a basketball court. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely some correlation. It's definitely different, right? I mean, I'm not going plays in golf. I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, you know, doing anything like that, but, um, but we are building a team. We are building a culture. We do leadership meetings with our golfers and just try to help them understand how connected they really are. Even because golf is such an independent sport sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the golfers don't necessarily realize that even when they're out there by themselves, they're still accountable to their teammates. They're mm-hmm. still part of a team. And because we don't, you can win individually, but we win as a team. Yeah. And so just getting them to understand that. I think that's probably been our strength as golf coaches is that one, we have experience uh, coaching and coach, coach K playing. Uh, but uh, it, so we have some credibility there, but it's really about building a team, gotcha. building a culture, 
building a group of guys that are committed to each other and working hard for each other, just like you would with a basketball team. Mm-hmm. So skipping ahead here, the 2019-2020 season was just an awesome year for you guys. You guys went 22-6 and six and made it to the NCAA tournament for the third consecutive year, including going on a 19-game winning streak. I know a lot of coaches, you know, you hear it a lot of times in like the NBA or the NFL that, that they kind of joke around that they would rather to, to lose one game in there to not have to deal with like the pressure of, of the streak. How, I've never been on a winning streak of 19 games before, Coach. How did you approach uh, that streak and kind of, you know, staying level-headed? <laughs> uh, you know, I think that streak probably surprised all of us, to be honest with you. Uh-huh. Um, and it really didn't become an issue until like it was getting close to um, – you know, breaking the conference record or a school record for women's basketball. Honestly, we didn't even talk about it. It wasn't even an issue. We we are so focused one game at a time um, that I probably was more concerned with our overall record than I was the winning streak. Yeah. uh, To be honest with you and and our next opponent. Um, So it's just one of those things that kind of happened, you know, in that streak, when you look at a streak like that, there were games that just things went our way, right? You know, or plays that went our way. Um, I can never, you know, honestly, a game we probably should have lost um, at St. Vincent um, at their at their holiday tournament. Um, we, you know, made a three uh, to go up up one um, with like five seconds left. They called a timeout and they ran a play. And so we're up one. They ran a play, get to the basket. Girl overshoots the basket, but there's their best players on the other side all by herself. She catches it in the air and misses the lamp. Oh my like, God. <laughs> like there's, there's no, like there's no way like yeah. she would make that nine times out of 10. Yeah. And the, and the buzzer goes off and they're missing that layup, you know? So, you know, I mean, we, you know, some things went our way, right? I right. Mean, for we, sure. We obviously were a good enough team to, to be in 19 games, but to win 19 games, um, you know, things just kind of went our way. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so uh, obviously we're thankful about that, but, I don't think any of us even considered until people started telling us about it and talking about <laughs> it. Um, to be honest with you. So, so one thing that you, one of your guys' strength this year was that you guys ended up finishing the season as the number one ranked three point shooting percentage team in the whole country, uh, shooting thirty eight percent. And you know, everyone knows that the three point shot has completely changed and revolutionized the game of basketball. But there still is a big difference between a good three point shot attempt and a bad three point shot attempt. <laughs> So, 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 so first, I guess, how do you help the women in your program become better shooters and just make sure that, uh, you guys are taking the, the three pointers that you want to be taking? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the key, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of really good shooters that don't necessarily take great shots. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's what we really focus on with our players is that, you know, one that you're prepared and you do all the work beforehand so that when you do catch it, you're on balance, um, You've obviously put in the work to make sure that you, when when you're called upon, you can you can do it for your team. Um, you know, the other thing is we have some really talented kids, right? I mean, I, I'm sure. not going to sit here and say that um, I am the best coach in the world, and I you want to have a great three point shooter, come send them to me, I'll do it. Right? No, that's <laughs> not it. I mean, we recruited some really good shooters and some really great players and and kids that players that have some great work ethic and put the time in um, on, on their shot, and so that when they're when they're called upon and they are on balance and we, and the defense does, you know, give up that shot that we're there prepared, ready to knock it down. And that's really what it came down to. Um, this year's shot selection was really good. Um, the offense, you know, they were looking for each other, um, a good pass lined up with a good, you know, good read on a screen, um, that led to a good balance shot that led to the make. So, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that go into that, right. Shooting a high percentage. So, um, Hopefully we can continue to shoot the ball that well, and, yeah. and uh, as well some of those players coming back, which is good. But uh, <laughs> you know, but same token, you have to have balance as a team, right? Yeah, it's uh, you know, so because we didn't shoot the most threes of anybody in the country, no. that's for sure. Yeah, um, but you know, obviously it's, it's about efficiency. So, for us. so as you guys were preparing for the NCAA tournament this past year, coach, we started to see here in the states just what the potential damage that the coronavirus uh, could do here. Was there any talk about the coronavirus uh, during that week of prep, getting ready for the NCAA tournament, or any uh, potential additional precautions you guys would take that weekend? Uh, we did not. Um, and, you know, I think 
partly because, you know, when you're in the season, it's, it's, you don't really, you're not looking outside much. You're really so internally focused on, you know, preparing for the teams you got to play. And um, there was probably discussions about, you know, um, you know, coronavirus, but I don't think anybody knew much at that mm. point still. I mean, I think it was still so new. Yeah. Um, you know, and that first, so we, you know, we, we went to Marymount that first weekend. Um, there really wasn't any consideration at Marymount. Um, not, not, not their fault yeah. and not of our, I mean, it was just not yeah. something that was well known of, of how big of an issue it really was. Um, in Gettysburg, it wasn't an issue in DC where Marymount's at, it wasn't an issue. Um, you know, Johns Hopkins, I know that first weekend had Yeshiva coming from New York city area. Yeah. Right. And they had a player that was affected and that's why they did what they did on uh, that first weekend. So I don't think it really became as big of an issue till the second weekend, um, and uh, I mean, obviously, right was when they shut things down. They didn't even have the second weekend. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was such a fast moving time, um, and it, the information was changing on an hourly basis, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, and and regionally too. So I, I just don't mm-hmm. think we understood what we were dealing with at Gettysburg because we just weren't impacted by it, at least to our knowledge. Yeah. Right? Um, honestly, like I look back. Um, there was a week in January or February um, for the end of our season, which actually led to our first loss that ended the 19, um, ended our 19 game win streak. Our loss, uh, we we didn't practice that whole week. Oh my god! As a team, because I had seven, eight kids dealing with flu-like symptoms. Wow. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, you know, we obviously none of us have been tested for that, but yeah, uh, I've never had a team impacted on such a great scale. Um, where I didn't even know, like we didn't practice. I didn't have enough to, to practice. Wow. Uh, we didn't have, you know, uh, we did workouts with the eight or seven healthy kids that we had. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't know if we knew enough about COVID at that time. For sure. That it was going to be that big a deal. Yeah. That, that kind of reminds me coach of a bunch of years ago when, uh, when Chipotle had all those issues about people getting sick there, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there was one Chipotle in Boston where members of the BC men's basketball team went after a practice and like half the team got sick and they were concerned about they were I think they were playing like Georgia Tech that weekend. If they only had seven scholarship players who didn't have who were not very seriously like, do, would they have to postpone the game or like would they forfeit? So luckily, I, th- I think they played like eight guys. But wow, that <laughs> that's the only uh, comparison I can get, Coach. I as we approach that at the end here, I have one last question before we get to the fun yeah. ones. You know, you're obviously a lot older than the young women who are in your program. Do you ever yeah. find it difficult to relate to them? Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, I think that's always going to be a challenge. Um, there are a lot of, um, you know, certainly there's the age gap and then there's, of course, the gender gap. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think I think for me, I, I've always been able to communicate to our team and try to try to try to listen and try to pay attention. I try to make sure that I'm as in tune as I possibly can be mm-hmm. to their needs and to their feelings and to their emotions and to all those things. But, yeah, I mean, and thankfully I have some great assistants that, that help me, too. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I think being humble and, and, and understanding that you don't have all the answers and maybe you're not um, as, as up on the situation as you think you are. Um, I think that's helped me over my lifetime as a coach. For sure. Um, I mean, there's many times where I sit down for my team and say, man, I messed up, ladies. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. It's my fault today. You know, I, I didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. And I think and I think that's made me be a little more reachable. Yeah. Um, than then. If I would have approached it a little bit differently, um, I think then I probably would have been more trouble uh, being relatable and, and understanding. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm a human, and yeah. they're humans too, and we, we share a lot of the same emotions. These ladies are competitive, and they want to win, and and they they're you know they they put the work in, you know, so they're tough. So you know, as far as as far as a basketball standpoint, uh, it hasn't really been that much different, to be gotcha. honest with you. Um, besides, you know, again, guys, they all think they're going to the NBA. <laughs> you know, if they haven't started or playing any minutes, like, you know, I can't tell you how many guys at the end of the season, their senior year, their oh, their season's done, and they're still in the gym putting up shots afterwards. Yeah. You're like, what are you doing? Like, like oh, I got I to keep working. I got to, you know, get a try. like, dude, you didn't even start for us. You didn't play any minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
You're not going to get a uh, contract. You got your degree. Use it. Come yeah. on, man. So, so there's a little bit. Maybe the ladies are a little more realistic, to be honest with you, um, about their their future potential uh, uh-huh. when it comes to basketball. Um, but uh, yeah, other nights they're the same. They're competitors. They want to win. Uh, they put their heart and soul into what they do, and so I can I can relate to that. So, Coach, I, I appreciate uh, all the time. I have five rapid fire questions uh, to end the podcast. All right. What is your favorite drill uh, as a coach? Oh, man. You know, we do a shooting drill at the end of our practice. Um, and, I, and I am probably the least creative person when it comes to naming drills. Uh, <laughs> and it, it is a drill that we do where we shoot for 15 minutes constant, running up and down the court. And, and of course, appropriately named 15 minutes shooting. Okay. And, um, <laughs> And, but that's probably my favorite because I, I think it adds a lot of conditioning. It's Gabriel shots. And, yeah. And, um, and so it's, you know, we usually try to, we have goals in, in mind where we're trying to, you know, get to a certain number uh, as far as, because we keep track of all the makes, threes and twos. And uh, so I like that. Anything kind of competitive drills, I love. Gotcha. Um, so that's probably my, my favorite drill that just came to mind. What is, or do you have any pregame superstitions? You know, I am pretty. If I get a tie or something that's that's winning, I will use that same tie or that jacket. Okay. So sometimes with my clothing, I don't intend to be. But if 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 I'm wearing something and we are awful, I won't wear that for a while. <laughs> so like, if I wear something and we start winning, then I'll try to usually kind of keep it going. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's probably the only thing I'm really superstitious about is, and, and obviously I know it has zero impact on the game. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know why, but sometimes that's probably the closest to superstitious I get. Who's the best player you ever coached against? Coached against? Um, man, so many good players. Men or women? Women's. Or women's. Um that is really a good one boy man let me think about that for a second man you threw me off for that one <laughs> um, I, could, I could tell you some of the great players I've coached um, been so many great team players we've coached against um, boy I tell you what I can't think of a player right now but wow. that's going to that's that's kill me but it's only because again I am I am so focused on my team. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm so focused. And that's a horrible excuse. That's the first um, time I've ever stumped anyone in the history of uh, the double-double. Yeah. It's, it's, first. Yeah. And, but it's partly because there's just so many good players. 100%. Like, so good teams. I, it's hard for me to think about, okay, who is that one person that that we really struggled against or we uh-huh. that really got the best of us? Boy, that's a great question, man. You <laughs> stumped me, man. I, I, no, no, no doubt. No doubt about that. <laughs> If you could change one rule about Division Three basketball, what would you change? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything where we currently are. I think there's been okay. some really good good changes. I think there's been some really good changes. I, I love. Um, I'm happy that we're. I'm not saying love. I, I'm happy that we've gone to the quarters. Um, I think that's been a good change for women's basketball. Um, I'm very happy with the um, advance. Uh, with timeouts at the end of the game, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, so I think those are some been some really good rule changes. I think they're probably we're going to need to go to this. You know, the men's basketball in Division Three is going to the deeper three. Yeah, um, I think it's silly that we're not yet because we're going to because uh, our players are going to step up behind that second line anyway and shoot threes. We might as well just yeah. go there now with the guys because that's what we did before. Um, so that's probably the thing that I think we probably need to change is just rip the bandaid off and go mm-hmm. to the longer three. I mean, we'll adjust. All right. We'll so adjust. my last question here, coach, as you know, it's getting to, to summertime. Hopefully it, it seems like things are, are opening up for anyone out there who's, who's, who's going out and, and looking to get the rust off their, their golf games. What are one tip you would, uh, you would give to any golfers out there? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, you know, enjoy it. Get out there and play. Enjoy the exercise. You know, um, enjoy the company, right? I mean, I think we're all wanting that right now, right? I mean, yeah. we've been cooped up and zoomed up enough. Um, 
you know, I think we're, in, you know, wanting that interpersonal interaction. And I think we can get that on the golf course, which is really nice right now. So that's probably the best thing. Go out there and get a group of people that you really enjoy being around and, and have fun, you know, um, and enjoy get some exercise. Um, that's probably the best. Don't take yourself too serious. Okay. Um, I think too many golfers try to take themselves too seriously, and, they, <laughs> and, and, and including myself sometimes. Yeah. So trust me, I'm, I'm not. I'm not immune to that. Uh, but hey, I want to go back. Okay. I'll tell you what. There's a couple of players. You know, you talked about a couple of players. There's a couple of players that were on uh, FU Forum's team at the time um, that were just really good. Uh, the Dayon Twins were really good players, and gotcha. Shalette Brown, who played forward for them, was an All-American. Was a really good player. Um, you know, that, that's probably, probably the closest thing I think when I think of women's basketball players that were just, okay. that really changed the games, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say those three kind of came off my mind as, as I got a chance to reflect <laughs> off that, that hard hitting fast question. Um, so, well, coach, yeah. well, well, coach, I appreciate, uh, all the time as usual on the double double, we give the last word to our guests. Is there anything you want to say to the great people of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? Um, yeah. Um, you know, uh, first of all, thank you, David. I uh, appreciate you uh, reaching out to me. And, and this has been a lot of fun just kind of talking about, um, you know, my journey to where I'm at right now and, and how I'm gotten to this place. And, you know, I feel really blessed to, to have this opportunity every day. It's, it's pretty, I have to pinch myself because I really kind of, it's amazing that I've gotten this place and uh, even more amazing that I've had success to be honest with you. Um, because I just don't see myself that way. Um, I think I've, I've been really, really fortunate to coach some great players, uh, to coach with some great coaches. And, um, you know, I just, it's just truly amazing. It really is. I, I again, I, I'm blown away that I'm still doing. And, uh, somebody calls me a professional coach. That's kind of <laughs> funny, kind of funny to think about, but, For sure. um, so yeah, so that's probably the biggest thing. And, um, you know, as far as people in Gettysburg, you know, obviously it's been an amazing experience being here. This is truly a special place and and uh, some amazing people that I get to work with. Um, you know, a lot of departments are family type, they say, and but this is truly one of those places. So I'm, I'm thankful that the coworkers I get to work with, I can bounce some great ideas up. But we have some great coaches here. I mean, you know, Carol Cantelli has won three national championships for women's lacrosse. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Hank Jansen, who's you know, one, I don't know how many runner-ups in lacrosse, um, you know, so, um, you know, so in, in countless others of people that, um, yeah. that I get to work with every day and pick their brains for things that, that, uh, that I can use to as a coach. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty special, pretty fortunate, man. But thanks David. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to talk. Thanks coach. That'll do it for this episode of the double double. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast, and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. And you can follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We will be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.